1: At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio,
2: wherever you can get podcasts.
1: Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app, and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick 'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100, get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.
0: This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go
3: Yard podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome on into a Monday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. The times we foretold where things get a little bit worse are upon us. Uh, Worse in multiple ways. Worse on the field. The Yankees lost two out of three over the weekend of the White Sox, including one run in a doubleheader on Sunday, which is not the amount of runs that you want. They were lucky to get away with one. If you watch that Saturday game, the bullpen threatened to give up the lead in basically every inning. You escape that series, you say goodbye to it, and you hope you're moving on to brighter days. But the Yankees have lost three out of four games. That's why you win the early games, so that you can eventually lose three out of four games. Uh, Their endless stretch without an off day, luckily they got a rainout on Friday, continues tonight. Three games at home against the Orioles. You have Adley Rutchman now. Just took two out of three from the Rays. They're no pushover. And then four games in Tampa Bay before a scheduled off day. And the pitching depth took a significant hit this weekend, too. Chad Green out for the season. Tommy John, Luis Heal at the minor league level out for the season. Also, Tommy John, or oldest Chapman, ideally out for the season, sucking ass. Um, it would be great if he were out for the season because of how – bad he is at baseball he is battling an achilles injury reportedly we're going to talk about the bullpen woes in a bit we are going to talk about the weekend series the action and the injuries and aaron hicks who's a continued problem gets his own segment and then of course We will touch on the other way in which this weekend got much worse for the Yankees and their fans, uh, but more specifically for the players on the field, Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson's beef, which escalated from a normal baseball beef to something way beyond that. We will not talk much about it. We are obviously not the people... Who are qualified to do so, but we will try to distill the situation as best we can in a short period of time to get across what a complex uh, conversation this really is. Uh, whether MLB decides to intervene on Donaldson or not, there is clearly more room to grow across the baseball landscape and across the landscape of fandom. I don't think a lot of people realize uh, what happened, you know, wh- wh- whether you're what, no matter what your opinion is on it, I think there are numerous layers of context to this. And it's objectively something that should not happen. So I'll say that as the pod starts. Then we'll talk about it a little bit later. But obviously, not go as deep as some others because, just quite frankly, that's not what we're here for. We'll address it as much as we have to, uh, and trust us, we're not going to move past it. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five star review along with a mailbag question. We will be more than happy to answer that question. Thomas Carinante. The sky is not falling, but you don't want to lose twice in one day. You certainly don't want to lose twice in one day. When your starters give you one combined earned run across two great starts from Luis Severino and Jameson Tyone, Johnny Cueto and Michael Kopeck were just better. The Yankees probably should have stolen the first one, had no business in the second one, didn't even threaten. Uh, and, yeah, two losses in a row, and now they're 29-12, and 12, which if you're the worst among us, you're already looking at it going, well, that's not quite so special, and we're all – guilty of that but best record in baseball still you don't want to lose two games in one day
2: yeah I'm preserving my anger um, and my frustration um, because like you said 29-12 good record good baseball team Um, we talked earlier this year about heading on the road for some tough series one was in Toronto one was also in Chicago against the White Sox and we were in a very good place record wise and said hey you know You lose this series, it's not the end of the world. So here we are, kind of coming full circle. Finally lost the series. Um, Concerning for uh, some reasons, well, some more important than others. Um, First and foremost, we do have the pitching situation, which is now problematic. Um, We have injuries. The bullpen is taking a hit. Guys are being overworked we're going to discuss that more later but that's the first on the surface and now you have the reappearance of the 2021 Yankees offense one run in two games um Michael kopic very good pitcher um Johnny Cueto should probably hit him but also a good veteran like I would take Johnny Cueto on my team and throw him in the fifth spot and have him be able to sign me a really good lineup every once in a while so I don't think it was too crazy that he was able to do that um I, uh, I I also don't think that two games on the same day in which the Yankees endured offensive woes is, is any kind of big deal um, for us to be worried about in the grander picture. But we have PTSD from last year. We see what happens when this offense goes silent. We see how they kind of lay down. You can simulate the game all the way through the ninth inning and nothing changes. Um, but uh, it also didn't help that they had uh, – the White Sox had um, – you know, the, the court of public opinion and rightfully so in, in Tim Anderson's corner, which kind of, I think gave them a little bit more fuel for the weekend, which was um, coincidentally capped off by Anderson's three run homer in the eighth yesterday to make it five, nothing. And that ended the game. Um, I don't know. I have no real takes from this series. Um, Starting pitching is great. We love it. 14 innings combined from Tyone and Severino. Tyone was sharp and efficient the entire way. Severino, not as much, but battled and showed gumption and was able to get out of big spots, which you value regardless of what the situation is and regardless of what the opposition is. Um, so Luis Severino has exceeded expectations beyond belief in the early going because I, for one, did not think he'd be starting to open this year. I thought he'd be in the bullpen. They'd bring him back up to speed come the All-Star break. They'd unleash him in the second half. I think he said, no, we're going to start him off in the rotation to begin the year. And he's proven me wrong, and I'm so happy for him because I know the last uh, three or four years have been really, really difficult for him. Um, Tyone, consistent all year, turning into exactly that mid-rotation piece the Yankees acquired from the Pirates um, before last season. Um, And it is what it is. It's a series loss. People might be freaking out more than others. Uh, I surely am not. Um, It's nice that we have a Baltimore series sandwiched in or uh, bookending this sandwich here. Um, because the Yankees could use a little bit of um, of an infusion after that uh, bummer on the doubleheader. Then again, you know, the rain out kind of threw things off. The Yankees were, I know they came off that tough loss in Baltimore, but that was another one in which going for the sweep, you battle, you don't make it easy for the opposition. Then you finally lose because your bullpen is overused. The guys who were assets previously are no longer assets. Lucas Lickie gives up that walk-off. You think, you know, the – Public perception is, oh, you're in a bad spot. You just lost the walk up. It's like, no, not really. We forced in a, a game in extras that we didn't really deserve to win. We battled and now we're going into a weekend series with the same, you know, FU energy um, against a team we just took three out of four from last weekend. So the fake rainout on Friday where they could have totally played, I think kind of threw things off. Um you got a nice reset after kind of being humbled on Sunday. I think they'll be fine. I'm not worried. And it's a lame opener, but you got you got to you got to stand pat in the early going. You can't get too upset and we're still in uh, the best position they could po- we could possibly be in outside of a few issues we'll discuss, but um all in all, you got to be pleased with the play up to this point regardless if there have been some bumps in the road.
3: I'm not worried. The, the fact of the matter is just this team has lost six games in a month and three in the past four days. Yeah, that's just that's just true. Like, it, you know, you, you can look at the team and say they're in a place where you, you're confident, but you, your confidence is going to be shaken a little bit when you spend the first three and a half weeks of May losing three baseball games and then lose Thursday, Sunday twice. Like, it just doesn't feel good um and saturday almost got away right they're up five nothing and then they're up five three one second later uh every you know they're up six three all of a sudden then it's six five and there's guys on base and michael king is struggling uh clay holmes eventually comes in and settles things down as he always does but everybody was shaky up until clay holmes so they barely get out of that one with a win and there's stuff simmering below the surface and then sunday uh you know judge comes back uh, again as he has done so often Homers tie the game in the eighth after they've been completely silent for seven innings, first and second one out. They can't push an extra run across. And at that point, you know, you can already feel you're probably going to regret that missed opportunity. And then uh, Earl Chapman makes it very clear why you need to regret that missed opportunity by immediately folding and falling into a pit. I think this team obviously needed a day off and getting a Friday off bullpen reset helps, but arguably having the double header hurts more. You have to change your whole calculus. Um, you know, Michael King, they go all out uh, on. The, he, he basically does his typical workload, which usually gets him through two or three innings on Saturday, but he only gets through an inning on that same pitch count. Obviously can't use him on Sunday. Can't use Chad Green, who's out for the year. Uh, you know, I would. I don't understand why they don't use Wandy Peralta in higher leverage situations. I definitely don't understand why they don't use Clark Schmidt ever, Uh, who's pitched five times in 35 games at the big league level this year. Um, You know, there's a difference between, you know, carrying someone like Clark Schmidt who's proven to be a weapon and and caddies for starters when they fail early. The starters haven't failed enough early, and then they haven't figured out a way to weave him into the picture. Otherwise, I think that changes now without Green and with Loisaga and his seven ERA and and matching five-plus FIP. Another one step forward, two steps back there, too. He doesn't look... Same stuff as ever, too. He's throwing 99. He's got the bowling ball singer. The co- control and command's not there. Puts himself in a jam on Saturday, gets out of it, and then comes in on Sunday and, of course, breaks the scoreless tie immediately. And the numbers go from you know mid-fives to low-fives back up to low-sevens. And it's like, oh, what are we doing here? Every, outing, we're, every other outing we're giving up two runs. That's no way to go through life. So I'm not pessimistic on the 2022 Yankees because of one weekend series you just rather not lose two games in, in one day, especially when the pitching looks as good as it did. Yeah. Um, the the rotation ERAs are insane. Nestor Cortez had his worst start of the season on Saturday, three earned runs in five innings, seven strikeouts, and his ERAs at 1.80. Garrett Cole, 2.89, entering Monday's game. Jameson Tyone, 2.95. Severino got all the way, you know, battled in every single inning on Sunday, but he's now down to 3.02 after edging above four, and who could care less if he was at four? This year after all that he's gone through, but you don't even have to justify that right now. He's down to three Oh two and Jordan Montgomery, who can't win a game for this team to save his life is at three, three, five Severino and Montgomery are the four and five starters. Both of their numbers are commensurate with twos and threes across the league. So this rotation is unbelievable. The offense is not going to be as bad as it was on Sunday. It, it it's gone through impossible mode stretches before it's easy to forget now, but when they came out of that rain out Palooza, and played the other doubleheader against the Rangers and then day game the next day. They won that last game, one-nothing on a nothing inning where Rizzo looped a double into the gap and a chapman almost blew it. Uh, and we will talk about him, we promise. <laughs> uh, they they won the first game of that doubleheader on a Glaber walk-off homer that was basically just like, oh, oh, we banked a win. Um, in a game where they blew, you know, Cole blew a one-nothing lead, gave up a late home run to tie the game. They couldn't do anything, get anything going in Glaber Homer. They just held on until the ninth. That's what you were hoping to get out of one of the two games yesterday. You're hoping to hold on until the ninth, walk it off, get lucky, you know, rip one to the short porch or something. And they just came up unlucky twice, which hurts just because they haven't been doing that for two full months. They were not going to play at a 750 clip all year. It would have been really nice. It would have been super good for my mental health if they just had done that instead of not doing that. I don't like looking at the win column and seeing the Red Sox have five wins in a row coming back from four nothing and five nothing deficits against the Mariners the Mariners are terrible so I mean you don't have to dive deep to figure out what went wrong in that series but a Red Sox loss would have made me feel nice on Sunday I didn't get it one Yankees win out of the two would have made me feel nice I didn't get it you know what sometimes you have to feel bad that's that's kind of how it works the Orioles are not a pushover I don't. I don't really enjoy people doing like. Well, Adley Rutschman's up. Everything's different now. He has like one hit in two games. He has not been the man who's made the difference. The difference is that the Orioles are just not as bad as they were last year. And we we knew that. We've watched them play. You can't run over this Orioles team. You want to, but you can't. Jordan Lyles is pitching in this series. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman is pitching in this series. Both those guys have been good. Um, you know, legitimately good, not just Orioles good, very good. Uh, Zimmerman has picked up for John Means. Neto Dorr just walked off the Rays twice. You know, the Austin Hayes tied uh, yesterday's game late. I believe he also tied Friday's game late, but either way, they went two, two deep extra innings wins for the Orioles this weekend against the Rays, really helped the Yankees out, kept them five games ahead of Tampa. But the Orioles are going to come into this series battling. I don't think it's because of Adley Rutschman. I think it's because they're a decent baseball team that can – Get on a heater. I think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna be pushed over in any of these three games, nope. especially with the Rays coming behind. Uh, baseball's just not easy. The June schedule for the Yankees is hard, but the Yankees are also a really good baseball team. So I, I can't guarantee you they're gonna stay this far ahead of the pack, but I can guarantee you this is not. You know, we're not gonna look back at this weekend as the last good memory we have in 2022. That that much I know. Um, now let, let's talk about the, the elephant in the room that we have to talk about. Uh, Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson's moment on Saturday. Um, And I just think, uh, you know, ordinarily I would start this segment by saying something like, you're just not going to see Yankee fans defending Donaldson. You're just not going to see it. I'm sorry, mainstream media, um, but you actually will see it. You've seen it on Twitter. You've seen it a lot. It's not the trusted ones. It's not the ones who you, you know, actually look to to get your opinions, but you are seeing Yankee fans just fully take Tim Anderson's, you know, declaration that he is the next Jackie Robinson back in 2019 and take that as pomposity and take that as like, who are you to say you're just like Jackie Robinson? That opinion uh, that Tim Robinson, Tim Robinson, Tim Anderson uh, is is pompous is coming from, uh, of course, Yankee fans who want to look at him with the same derisive tone that Josh Donaldson showed. You know, they want an easy way out of this because when we heard it was easy to say that didn't happen. Right. Uh, Tony Larusa says, uh, Tim Anderson heard something racist from Josh Donaldson. Your first inclination is not to say that didn't happen, but is to say, what's it going to be? And then when Tim Anderson says he called me Jackie, you're like that just without knowing the context, you're like, that's impossibly racist. Like I, I like it feels like it's just plucked out of literally nowhere. Um, you know, you don't know about the articles. You don't know about what Tim Anderson has said in the past. And you just hear that and you say. I mean that can't be true because that is so beyond the pale. Like to just pull that name out of nowhere, right? Um, so your yeah. first inclination is just to say anything like that. So I mean, it could have it could have easily happened, but without the context, you're just saying. I mean that is unbelievable. I mean if Josh Donaldson stooped that low, um, you know that that's grounds for for so much so much punishment from from MLB from the Yankees. Then you hear about the article and you just. It justifies very. It justifies nothing. But you at least start to realize what he's saying, where it's coming from. He's not just making an oblique reference to Jackie Robinson. For, uh, you know, just pulling out a black athlete of the past and saying, "Oh, you're black. You think you're like him?" Uh, you know, he's taking Tim Anderson's words and he's tweaking it. Josh Donaldson clearly doesn't believe that he did something that merited. Uh, the level of controversy he was he believes he was trying to get under tim anderson's skin by using his own words against him the problem is tim anderson said those words not so that someone like josh donaldson could pervert them and look down in his nose at tim anderson and say oh you think you're jackie robinson huh because tim anderson has experienced um you know know, the the game was integrated when he arrived sure but it baseball has not gone nearly far enough in accepting people who play like tim anderson and you saw that again on sunday when yankee fans said this guy thinks he's jackie robinson what a fool you know they lo- celebrating you know jackie didn't make interviews about him suddenly every white yankee fan is an expert in what jackie robinson did or did not do you know if you've ever seen a jackie robinson interview you know he would never what are you talking
2: it's about? like people you... with martin luther king
3: yeah mlk would this. never yeah. yeah okay guys um and and so just like you've got this certain sect of yankee fans that has just internalized the name Jackie Robinson as a paragon for like the acceptable black player. And they're like, Jackie would never, ja- I mean, Jackie dealt with so much disaster. And and yes, his whole thing was, he did not, um, you know, he had the guts not to fight back mid game, et cetera, but you don't know anything about Jackie Robinson. You also don't know anything about what Tim Anderson has experienced that led him to make that kind of comment that that does come off at surface value. You do want to say, okay, man, like baseball has been integrated, but there has been a very low level of acceptance for players as boisterous and loud as Tim Anderson. Um, So all of this is to say that while Josh Donaldson, I don't think he didn't pull it out of thin air and he, he doesn't seem to have meant it as anything more than a derisive snipe. It clearly meant it it didn't, it wasn't a shared joke between him and Tim Anderson. So uh, to defend him is, is uh, just there there's no merit and no point in standing on your soapbox and defending Josh Donaldson. Even if it "quote unquote" was not as bad as you might have thought it was at first, it rubbed somebody. It rubbed the person who matters the wrong way. So that's really the end of that story.
2: Yeah, it's it's what Tim Anderson says, and that's kind of how it goes, and that's what you have to respect. Um, if he said it was a disrespectful comment that teetered on racism, which he actually said, Tony larusa outright called it racist, and Tim Anderson. And we heard from
3: yeah, we heard from Tony larusa first, which threw off yeah. the whole trajectory of the thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. He said it was racist, and that kind of created a snowball effect of everybody being like, Oh, Josh Donaldson's racist. That's not really surprising. Like that's that was essentially the tone. It's like, oh, this guy's a loudmouth shit talker. Like, doesn't surprise me that he might have said something racist. Um, and then you go to Anderson, and Anderson constantly used the word disrespect, and somebody alluded to Tony LaRusse saying it was racist, and he said, Yeah, you could you could say it was it was like teetering on that border. Um so at the end of the day. I thought Aaron Boone kind of played this um, the best. Um, You know, like you said before, elephant in the room here. We're not qualified to talk about this. We're both white, but we have to talk about it because we're not going to avoid it. This is a a pertinent conversation that I think most people should be involved in because it's it's, it's a learning experience and it's something that people should understand. So Josh Donaldson is not an active racist based on what we know. I've never heard Josh Donaldson make racist comments before or have this alleged toward him, but – he might not be educated on this front to the point where he is um, aware of what trash talk is appropriate and what might have some undertones or um, sort of racial implications that a white guy would not understand. And I think we ran into that situation on Saturday um, when he thought it was okay to joke around about this, whether. Um, I think that story's kind of bullshit, too. I think Anderson probably would have said something about that if he was referenced um, as Jackie before from Donaldson face-to-face. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe Donaldson was joking about that with other teammates behind closed doors, and he – Maybe mentioned it and Anderson in passing, and Anderson didn't hear. I literally don't know, but I don't, I'm not buying that story either way. It doesn't matter to me. He said rolled his eyes
3: at it. Yeah. 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 He easily could have said it to him, and Anderson didn't make a big deal. Like it's very possible Josh Donaldson said it to him several years ago, Anderson, um, you know, as closer to the interview, maybe. And he's like, okay, guy. Right. As black players in this game often do, though, like Anderson, maybe rolled his eyes at it and didn't say anything because he didn't yeah. want to cause trouble. Yeah. Then last week, Donaldson gives him the hard tag, starts this team-wide drama, and this week it comes back. You know, and and he just and Josh Donaldson starts to do it again. I mean, yeah. maybe he thought Anderson given him a pass before and didn't give him a pass this time. I don't know, but it's completely understandable. It's an understandable impulse. Why, if Josh Donaldson had done it in the past, that and Tim Anderson didn't like it that Tim Anderson would have kind of tried to minimize the issue before turning it into something. Cause now you see what we're dealing with now. Yeah. Everybody's now it's a firestorm I and mean, nobody wants that.
2: No. And I thought Aaron boom was in the toughest position to deal with this because a, he's the opposing manager. He's going to speak for the team. He's going to be the first guy speaking post game. And he has to be the one to parse through Anderson's perspective and what Donaldson meant by it and any other interpretations from other players um, and then he has to communicate and kind of delegate that to the media. And I thought he said it perfectly. He said, look, after talking with Josh, there was he clearly had no malicious racial intent, but he has to know he can't go there. Regardless of this is a joke or not, like it, he is. Josh Donaldson is not friends with Tim Anderson. It, that's been clear for however many years now. Josh Donaldson has not earned the right to joke with Tim Anderson, especially something of this nature um it's belittling it comes off as belittling giving given that tim anderson is a a technically uh what you would consider a marginalized um uh person in the game of baseball there's a dwindling amount of black players um uh, less than eight percent now in major league baseball and to um kind of put jackie robinson's name in a joking tone is also not really, it's it not really, it's not in good taste whatsoever. Jackie Robinson did a lot for the sport. Um, he dealt with abuse more than any other black player in the history of arguably any sport did um, and overcame tremendous obstacles to make the Hall of Fame win a World Series, everything everything in between. Um, so to joke about that and then joke about a guy who compared himself to um, maybe the newer school version of Jackie Robinson in dealing with whatever obstacles black players are experiencing today or how, um, he, Tim Anderson, a star in his own right is tasked with changing the perception around black players. That is, uh, still not, um, fully understood by, uh, white fans or any other fans, um, who are not, I guess, exposed to, um, how they play their game or how they act emotionally or anything of that sense. Um, holds you know that's a big thing for tim anderson to undertake as a black man and to understand oh well this is how i feel and this is how i'm kind of going to go about it and here's what everybody should know because like like we said there's not many of them in the sport and you heard dom smith last uh two years ago after george floyd got murdered he was on the post game crying about how you know about just race relations in america in general um met's first baseman by the way, guys. Uh, it was great interview. You got to you know understand where he was coming from and feel the feelings that he was feeling that most of us do not because most of us are, are not black and understand that experience. Um, so I just think that the joke here is not a joke. The trash talk there is not appropriate trash talk. Aaron Boone said Josh Donaldson was wrong. There was no malicious intent here. However, he needs to know he can't go here. He needs to understand the implications of his behavior and how it affects other people and um, and Tim Anderson is right to feel this way. And we need to respect how he feels. And we need to understand that um, something being said that you might not think is serious is very much serious to this other person. Um, because also too often, which I don't like is we run into these incidents where you hear Tony La Russa say he made a racist comment, comment and now it's, Oh, Josh Donaldson's a racist. Let's ostracize him and never talk about him ever again. Cause we don't want to hear from him again. And that is an understandable first reaction, but, I'd rather Josh Donaldson maybe learn that what he said was shitty and inappropriate and that he needs to refine his behavior and know that even something as uh, something as cheap as that is still still has racial undertones that affects how somebody else feels. So I'd rather him feel bad and feel shitty and understand what he did was wrong. And now he knows not to do that for next time, Um, because you're going to pay the price if you're a trash talker. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to overstep a boundary. But overstepping a boundary in a racial context is absolutely out of line. And Josh Donaldson, who's a 36-year-old man, should understand where that boundary exists and that even the most casual, what he thinks is the most casual of trash talk or reference to anything still has, you know, still can be um, overly offensive to somebody else. Um, So I just think that's all that needs to be said on this. We spoke with so I think that's fine.
3: Yep. Uh, I mean, the good thing is there, you know, media is not perfect, but there are more voices now than there used to be for you to hear from. Uh, I recommend uh, beyond the source material, beyond listening to Tim Anderson, I recommend reading James Fagan's piece uh, for the athletic. He is biracial. He says I'm biracial in his Twitter bio um, and he has a great perspective in summing up the events. Um, I also think it was very easy to get bogged down these last couple days in uh, well-meaning efforts from members of the media, but that ended up teetering on just a little bit too much glee that the Yankees were involved in something like this. Um, you know, I think you want to go to the source. You want to go to people who really do understand why this matters to Tim Anderson and why what Josh Donaldson said was, was nuanced and ha- but also has to be dealt with immediately um, that strips that little, you know, that, that back-of-the-mind layer of, like, I'm so glad the Yankees are in a controversy like this, which should be the least important part of the story, It should just be Donaldson Anderson and moving forward. Great. That's done. Um, Now let's talk about the Yankees bullpen, which is objectionable at this moment in time. Uh, We spent a lot of time early in the season praising it rightfully. So uh, because the statistics were in our favor and it wasn't like the Yankees were getting extremely lucky. Like they have at the beginning of other seasons where they're winning every game three, two, and you're going, I don't know how long this is going to last, but God damn it. It's great. And then all of a sudden, obviously they lose like four tight games in a row. And you're like, it stopped, stopped happening. Why did it stop happening? This isn't quite the same. Of course, the Yankees have lost six games in a month, as we said earlier. Um, very few of those losses have not been tied in the late innings. Um, you know, the Yankees have come back to tie basically every game that they have struggled in. Uh, they even tied the first game of Sunday's doubleheader 1-1 one, one late. They tied uh, with two outs in the ninth. DJ LeMayhew blooped one in to tie that Orioles game. They come back almost every single time the bullpen falters and they pick each other up. It's not going to happen all the time, and it did not happen uh, late on Sunday when the bullpen just completely fell apart. This is the beginning of a trend, though, and in the same way that Aroldis Chapman looked like someone who was barely hanging on and was maybe fated to pop the rest of the bullpen, there are some numbers that make you go, hmm, they are uh, third in Major League Baseball with a 3.06 relievers ERA, but 12th in strikeouts, ninth in whip, 8th in batting average against. Not bad, not exceptional. And Aroldis Chapman and Jonathan Luizaga with Chad Green out are probably the chief concerns at this point in time. Now, Green, especially depressing, and we've talked about this in the past, it's really hard to be objective on Green, especially, you know, this is a podcast that we've hosted from the middle of 2020 through 2021 and the early part of 2022. 2021, Chad Green had a .88 whip and a 3.12 ERA and threw 83 and two-thirds innings, but also surrendered 14 home runs. Since Chad Green... Mostly appeared in tight games in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Those home runs were almost a hundred percent disastrous. And many of Chad Green's uh, you know, he was he's always been a two-pitch pitcher whose fastball has lost a tick over the years and whose secondary pitches have never quite matched up. So when he's getting hit, he's getting hit hard. And he got hit hard in a number of crucial appearances last year. Also, the narrative didn't help. Last year's Yankees were a good team that could barely hit that when they did hit, often blew games late. If they could have held on to all of their late-game opportunities, they probably would have won 101 games. Instead, they won 92. They did not get very lucky last year. The offense was not good enough. When Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo arrived, the offense got better, but the offense was not good enough, and so someone like Chad Green Blows that game in Houston, but it's not an aberration. They have the game, they blow that four-nothing game to the Red Sox where Jonathan Loisega. um you know what? According to the <laughs> according to the Pythagorean one loss, the Yankees actually did get lucky last year. They should have been 86 and 76 based on their underlying numbers and went 92 and 70. I find that strange. Uh, but certainly through the early part of that season, it was blown save after blown save. They take that big lead in Houston, they blow it. Red Sox serious, they're blowing it all the time. Um, and Chad Green's a major part of that, but you're going to, you know, it's a classic modern major league career. Dominant, 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 less dominant because he's been used like crazy and gets used like crazy during that non-dominant season. Kind of gets force fed to us. Now this year, arm injury just before he hits free agency. Tommy John, he'll be out for 2022 and probably all of 2023. Weirdly, it increases the likelihood the Yankees sign him just because now they can pillow deal him and give him a two-year deal and instead of a three-year deal and probably knock half of that money off the AAV gross but they're probably more likely to bring him back than they were three days ago i don't think they do it but technically it increases it a little bit without chad green jonathan got you basically been without him except for he's on the field but uh, again 70 ra with a five something fip not the same and it makes you think that you know last year it looked like the closer of the future this year the command's just not there we don't know the background we don't know why Aroldis Chapman uh, has now uh, fallen victim to all of his trends. Uh, He's allowed an urn run in each of his last five appearances. That's really bad. Uh, He's now the guy who comes in to close or pitch in a late and close game in game one of a doubleheader. But on Saturday, given the opportunity, they went to Clay Holmes instead. He's been demoted. If he's got an Achilles injury, which he does, and he apparently wanted the ball yesterday and – I'm not going to get on Aaron Boone's case for this too much because he needed Chapman to take the ball yesterday because they had a double header and they had no bullpen arms. He needed Chapman as much as Chapman wanted to take the ball. He really wanted to get Chapman through a clean ninth. Didn't even come close second pitch of the inning. It's gone. He's thrown some 94.7-mile-an-hour fastballs or whatever. If he's got an Achilles injury, that makes sense. Let's put him on the shelf. Unpleasant reality, but let's go ahead and do that. Now we've got Heel on the 60-day. Now we've got Chad Green on the 60-day. You can put some guys on the forty-man roster who were not there before. You want to try Hayden Wisniewski? You can do that. You want to try um, uh, Manny Benuelos as, as sort of a Wandy Peralta alternative? You can do that. You want to promote Clark Schmidt? You can do that. But Errolis Chapman was dancing on the on the razor's edge all year long, and now five bad outings in a row, bad, and he'd already been demoted from the de facto closers role. Clay Holmes got the chance to do that, even though he's a, he's got 21 and two-thirds innings this year. That's not what you want to see in the middle of May. Deep breaths, people. Deep breaths only, folks. But the bottom line is there are holes in this bullpen. And there are holes in this bullpen that have to be solved at the deadline and internally. You can't just do one of the two. They're far enough that they need a multi-pronged solution here.
2: Yeah, and even the good is concerning. Clay Holmes, fucking great this year, but 21 and two-thirds innings already after the first six weeks. Michael King, awesome, but you're starting to see the cracks a little bit uh, to be expected, no longer fully lights out, still very good. 26 and two-thirds innings through the first six weeks of the season. Um, Lucas Lickie, uh, I guess all of the concerns about him eventually falling off the cliff – Uh, have been validated with that 5.73 ERA. I know his FIP is considerably lower at 3.28, but you got that 1.55 whip that you really, really don't want to see from a reliever. Um, And uh, Miguel Castro is another one where he's solid, but he also gets himself into trouble, elevated whip at 1.43. And those are the guys who are supposed to be supporting your supposed two best relievers, Interoldis Chapman and Jonathan Loisega, And those guys are far from the best um, at this point. Um, My biggest concern lies with Loisaga solely because his numbers this year are mostly representative of what he's done throughout most of his career. Last year is looking like the the outlier at this point Mm -hmm. Um, based on all metrics, based on surface level metrics, based on advanced metrics. When you take into account, you know, expected batting average, uh, hard hit percentage. Um, all expected era, all of that stuff. Um, and that was believed to be the closer in waiting. And now 7.02 era, 5.08 whip, one point, i uh, um, 5.08 FIP, um, 1.56 whip. Um, it's really looking concerning. And the walks for him and Chapman, they have 20 walks total between them in 30.2 innings pitched. That's absolutely, you cannot have that from the guys who were supposed to be anchoring the back end of the bullpen that's creating unnecessary traffic on the Bates pass. And we've seen particularly a lot of the struggles that both of these guys have had so far isn't even with the heart of the lineup, isn't even with the top of the lineup. It's with the bottom. It's with, and frankly, it's with every part of the lineup. But when you're enduring this type of stuff with the bottom of the opposition's lineup, when you're talking Rangers, you're talking, um, Red Sox, you're talking Orioles. It's all been there. Um, you've seen, you've seen all the cracks here, and now it's starting to really boil uh, at the surface. Um, and I think this is the new. This is going to be the new number one priority for the deadline. Um, the rotation, barring an injury, seems to be set. Um, I don't know what how else you kind of um, uh, kind of tinker things here. Um, I know we got Hayden Wisniewski at uh, AAA. He's been performing well. Uh, Ken Waldachuk just got the bump to AAA. He had a great debut yesterday. Um, I, I think you got to use Clark shit a little bit. Uh, Clark shit. Buddy. Yeah, Clark. Oh, man. God. Clark shit. Sorry, man. Uh, Clark Schmidt, you got to use him more, especially in multi-inning p- appearances if you want to preserve the bullpen and help out the starting rotation. Uh, Ron Marinaccio, I'm not sure how they're feeling about him um, after he kind of cratered um, in those last few outings. But, yeah, I mean, you lose a guy as important as Green who's – who hasn't been appreciated enough solely because we had the short in 2020 which was just shrouded in disappointment um and then in 2021 where everybody was kind of off their rocker and the pressure that was placed on the star, uh, on the pitching staff in general every reliever was pitching in a hole what seemingly pitching in a hold or a save situation to have that elevated pressure and those elevated expectations for a majority of the 162 game season is not fair. Chad green found himself in far more of those situations than he should have um, stumbled in many of them. And then when you look at at the end of it, one game made the difference between us hosting the wildcard game. You have to look back, you know, fans inherently look back and they're like, great. If Chad green doesn't blow that game in the ninth in Houston, if Chad green doesn't give up that home run to Francisco Lindor, things are just very different. Um, But Chad green's been a, a, a workhorse since 2016. and, and it, it can't really be, it, it, you You can't discount that because relievers that are asked to do as much as he's been um, over that span of time um, and to accomplish what he's accomplished is really incredible. And I'm glad that he's getting a nice earning year. I think he's making like 4.2 million this year, which which is pretty great for um, a fireman reliever in uh, his final year of arbitration. Um so he's not completely getting screwed on the free agency front as, you know, we've seen so many other guys get screwed with. Um, he's at least made some money up until this point. And like you said, it, it it does create a greater likelihood that the Yankees bring him back on a two-year deal. He gets some security. He gets comfort in his rehab. We'll see if that eventually happens, but yeah, now you're looking at Chad green who was arguably the most important believer over, you know, the last four or five years, um, just solely based on his role um, and how he was able to, um, get out of certain situations. Um, the completely, you know, teetering in the other direction now where he's, he was lights out last year. And now he's completely useless this year. Um, Lucas Licky, who you're kind of nervous to use, um, because now it's, it's, it's the, the soft throwing lefty. Um, when his pitches go over the plate, you're like, Oh my God, like someone's just, someone's going to tattoo this. Hmm. Um, so he's gotta I think he's gotta work on his his location a little bit. It's that that seems to be off. Um and yeah, like you said, Wandy Pralton not being used that much. I don't know why. Maybe they want to preserve him for the for later in the season. I don't know. Um, but you need to get more innings in here, you need to get more reliability in here. Um, and that's far too many members to be concerned about. If Green's out, Chapman no longer serves. I think you gotta move Chapman to the seventh, to the seventh inning at this point to give him some breathing room. It's not going to happen. Mark my words, it's not going to happen. Um, but changing his role and de-emphasizing his role, I think will help the bullpen in 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 its totality because then you make it a little bit more flexible for everybody else. Um, Litke, who's having trouble, um, and Lewisega, who was supposed to be an 8th, ninth inning guy who now can't really be a 6th, 7th inning guy, Um, that's four giant problems um, with the exhaustion from Clay Holmes and Michael King coming up fast in the rear view over the next month or two. So um, I don't know what the solutions are. Um, I don't know what the Yankees are thinking, but this is where most of the movement is going to come over the next month and a half, two months.
3: That Astros game was even worse than we all remember. I just had to look it up. I didn't want to. I did not want to, to. Uh, they they were up seven two in the ninth, first and second, no outs. Judge strikes out, Sanchez double play. Why is Sanchez banging behind Judge? Couldn't possibly tell you. <laughs> bottom of the, bottom of the ninth, Domingo Herman is is starting that inning. Infield single to, and double, Gurriel and Tucker. Then yep. you you want to talk about struggling against the bottom of the lineup? Chad Green comes in, double Chaz McCormick knocks them both in. Abraham Toro doubles in McCormick. Jason Castro pinch hits for someone named R. Garcia. Singles immediately. Martin Maldonado lines out. Now Tuve hits the home run to end the game. It's over in five minutes. Uh, and it's all the worst players on the team. So that was, uh, <laughs> I mean, that that's the reason, though, that, you know, it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You, you want to say we're being unfair to Chad Green's tenure and you want to say we're not remembering him properly, and we're not. But what sticks in people's craw is, is last season, the moments like that. And that's why it's it's the platonic, you know, it's, it's the opposite of the platonic ideal of a modern major league career. Great in 17, saved the season. 18, also incredible. Don't even have to worry about it. 19, horrible at the start of the season, gets demoted. They go over Larry Rothschild's head, and they go try to fix him at the minor league level. Comes back up, back to normal, becomes a spot starter. Remember when they used to pair him with Nestor? and he would throw, like, two innings. Cortez would come in and throw three. You know, no worries at all, 17 and 18. They get him back on track in 19. 20 starts to slip. 21, they use him so much, and he gives us games like that. And 22, just as he's about to get paid, erased from the ledgers. So don't think for one second, as, as frustrated as you were with Chad Green, that losing Chad Green will just be a good thing, that the bullpen will just get better without Chad Green. It's not going to happen overnight, automatically. You're losing somebody who had... A three ERA this season, and a one ERA in his last seven outings, and was getting it together before falling apart. Um, it, you know, it's a devastating injury, and and losing heel. You know, we don't talk about that either, but not a lot of room for him in the starting rotation yeah. right now. Yeah, at this moment, I would not put Luis Heel into the rotation over any of those guys. But his best three outings of the year were his major league start in Chicago and the two minor league outings that sandwiched it right before he came down with an elbow injury and took himself out. So you're losing him for a year and a half. That's an extremely long time. Next in line to make a start at the big league level, probably Clark Schmidt. But if it gets to that point, you've got Wisniewski and Waldachuk and Banuelos and, and unproven guys below him. And this is how you end up with either the need to make the move for a starter at the deadline too, or Asher Wojciechowski making starts like he did in, in 2021. You know, signing some veteran off the scrap heap and going, it's the best we can do. Uh, so we're going to put a guy in there. Um, yeah, no, you know, uh, concerning at multiple levels. And, and, and talking about concerning at multiple levels, the worst player on the 2022 Yankees. Uh, we ran the numbers worse than Higashioka, worse than Trevino. Uh, he, he ran just, the numbers. Ran the numbers. He's just the worst. You can't uh, – there's no framing for outfielders, but hey. I'm sure he doesn't provide that shit because he's minus – uh, what, 24 minus 24? Uh, I thought it was 24 DRS over the last yeah. several years. Uh, Played him in left field on, on a Saturday. It just got worse and worse. Let a ball skip by him. Left field, not for everybody. With Joey Gallo out on the COVID list, still precautionary as of now, has not tested positive, but has the symptoms. So he's hanging out. Aaron Hicks is going to play every day for the time being, except unless Esteban Floreal wants to go ahead and take that, he can take it if he wants didn't take it on a Sunday night also had a tough game in Hicks's place Hicks is unbearable uh, there's no there's no uh, other word uh, the, the the defensive lapses the liability that he provided uh Cameron Maben was on his case on Thursday thank goodness we're not doing this during the uh, live game I'm so sick of doing this during yeah. Thursday afternoon sleepwalks um, the Yankees are good basically every day unless Jordan Montgomery pitches or unless it's yesterday. And we keep ending up with these Jordan Montgomery day games for live podcasts. It's embarrassing. And Aaron Hicks, uh, you know, single-handedly led to that tie being broken, um, you know, on, on Thursday by lackadaisically throwing one into the infield. If you're already struggling, the last thing you can do is be lackadaisical and Hicks. It, it's reductive to say he seems distracted, but he's got family life. He's got, you know, a new partner. He's got a new baby. And he is not attacking baseball with the ferocity that he is, is advertising. He's not, uh, you know, when he says he's going 30-30 and this team wants to have some fuck you, uh, he's, he's writing out checks, his body of work can't cash right now. And if you're doing that, the least you can do is also always be invested in the moment and not making silly errors and mistakes and, and, and things that go beyond the physical. And over the weekend, Hicks did not take any great strides. And, and in fact, moving him to left field made the defensive issues even worse. Um, so I would be, uh, I don't know, you know, the the Orioles are coming up. Not a pushover. We've been through this. Not as good a team as the White Sox. Not as good a team as the Rays. Use Esteban Florial two out of three games this this series. I mean, you, you just have to. Yeah, uh,
2: there's got to be some sort of change of pace here. I know Hicks has been good for getting on base. Um, 341 OBP is nothing to sneeze at when you're batting 212 um and he's got five stolen bags but um an 80 OPS plus is terribly below average um a 250 slugging which i understand is a result of his wrist injury that famously uh, declines your power um and affects your ability to hit for power um but even when he's hitting the ball he's hitting it directly into the shift he's con- he's he's reminding me of what gary was over the last two years he's swinging out of his shoes he doesn't know what pitch is coming um he he hard when, when he is staying alive by fouling pitches off it's by sheer luck the end of his bat is tipping the pitch and barely getting a piece of it he's not on top of anything um and you want to talk about a guy who um, whose claim to fame is you know t- getting on base and taking walks um, that you you have to elevate your game if you're struggling in so many other different areas than just taking walks you can take walks you can sit there and stare at pitches and battle the pitcher and 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 hope a ball comes the ball's coming in so fast that it's it, it. There's a very good chance you're that, that you can get a walk with how inaccurate pitchers are and how many different pitchers you face in a game and how different pitchers approach different hitters. Like walking is walking shouldn't be. Oh, Aaron Hicks, yeah, dude, that guy. That guy walk. Have you ever heard anybody say that guy walks,
3: dude? That guy you, effing walks. The only yeah, person in fucking
2: it. history anybody said that about is Barry Bonds, is because he was intentionally walked in the funniest scenarios you would have ever seen, and he broke records for walks. No pedestrian standard player, no no fans like, oh wait, this guy's coming up. wait till you see this walk he takes, dude. He's gonna he's gonna probably he's gonna work it in five pitches. guarantee it. Um, and also, Aaron Hicks is not the hitter that he was 2017, 2018 where the walks matter a little bit. So walks are usually indicative of you having a good eye or the pitcher being afraid to throw you. The pitch that you like because you're going to cream the shit out of it the walks are just happening because it's an omen of the game and Aaron Hicks looks at more pitches than he does swing at them um I don't have the data on that right in front of me um but based on what I've watched from him this year the lumber hardly comes off his shoulder and he's more so looking for the walk than not
3: that's um, a classic thing if, if the stats don't bear it out it's like well it feels true yeah uh we can't well, look the it Joe it's how... a Joe Ro- I don't know it's a Joe yeah. Rogan app. it's where he's like <laughs> yeah. you hear this you hear this, they're banning farming in Australia. And the guy's like, there's no articles about that. He's like, Yeah, but the craziest thing is it kind of sounded true though, right? <laughs> <laughs> sort of what we're doing. But like anybody what nobody watching Aaron Hicks is like, yeah. he's been he's been the right amount of aggressive up there. No, um, yeah. And it, and that's yeah. been that I think
2: that's been the frustration too, because it's like, man, attack a first pitch here and there. Try to get ahead. If this pitcher wants to get ahead of you in the count, he's gonna groove a fastball over the middle. Then you know. Make sure you let him know he's he made a mistake. Get on top of the fastball. Um, and it's troubling looking at his defensive numbers too because it's the defense here is like we've oversold Aaron Hicks on defense. Aaron Hicks had one very good defensive season in 2017, and every other defensive season has been average or below average from a multitude of standpoints. From um, from a defensive run save standpoint. Most of the time he's been um, in the negative for that um, or he's been like between one and five, if that, which isn't, you know, which if you're looking at um, a player who's supposed to be a spectacular defender, you're you're usually higher than that. Um, and even from a Dwar perspective, blue expectations out of the water in 2017, negative every other year except one. And the one positive was a point one in twenty nineteen. And I know that there's also another problem here because he hasn't been on the field. He's been injured short in season in 2020. um, So there hasn't been enough of a sample size per se. Um, But I think uh, what we knew about him coming into the trade, he was an oft injured player who struggled to catch on because he was having trouble finding that playing time. Um, And knowing that we probably saw his peak um in that um what was it was that the 2018 season yeah the 2018 season when he registered career highs across the board we mentioned this a couple podcasts ago brian cashman just bought high he bought at the highest possible price he could after seeing hicks fulfill his potential and decided to invest seven years in that after knowing his entire injury history um and even that year hicks i will say only because if this is your career high in games played it's still only 137 games. That just you're not a durable player at that point, and I'm not saying. Look, Aaron Hicks, take your money, man. Con- congrats on the 70 million dollar extension. Like God bless, but um, the 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 expectations for Aaron Hicks are overblown. One because he's a Yankee, um, and two because we saw the ceiling and we saw what he could do. And oftentimes, we believe fans believe that oh, you did that? That's sustainable. Why don't you just do that for five more years and make my life easier, and then I won't have to yell every time you fail. Um, So the reality here is that Hicks is not the player on a consistent basis that he achieved in his career year. Um, This injury is clearly... Um, taking a toll on him and it's going to uh, it, it's going to take longer for him to get back on track. And three, I don't know if it's effort-based or if it's just a lack of comfort in the outfield. I have no idea, but Cameron may been saying that on the broadcast about his lack of urgency, catching that ball on the track and trying to prevent the runner from tagging up from first to second. Um, all of these weird angles he's taking to balls, whether it's in left field um, uh, or in center field with what appears to not be a full speed effort, um, from the naked eye, again, fans who have watched baseball for a very long time know what hustle looks like. Um, those are troubling, and I don't know if anybody's going to ask him a question or to speak on that. I don't know how he hasn't responded to any questions about his efforts out there and, and what that translates to or what he's potentially going through. But um, at the very least, I think it'd be nice if we had some answers on that front because you don't want to assume, like you said, a lot of personal issues, mental issues. Uh, mental, um, toll from the physical toll that he's taken over the years. Um, So you don't know what any individual person is going through, but at the very least you do want to see the effort. And uh, on the surface, it doesn't seem like we're getting the effort.
3: Yeah. um, I think, I mean, we, we've touched on all these touch points, but the wrist is really tricky and sometimes it just saps power. And if you have this late career, mid career, late career wrist surgery, I mean, this is the thing that basically, turn Mark Teixeira from a very durable superstar into somebody who would hit in fits and spurts and who you became more surprised by their power uh, than expectant of it. And if that's what it's going to do to Aaron Hicks now, um, he already had the Tommy John surgery, which is more serious for a position player than it is for somebody, you know, pitchers know how to rehab from Tommy John. Uh, position players don't necessarily know how to do that quite as much. Um, and you, you end up, you're not sure, you know, if he's going to get that arm strength back. I mean, it's not. Yeah, he, he has so thrown about 20 miles an hour slower uh, than, you know, he has in the past. And then the wrist, you know, maybe it's two things. You know, he once was a valuable defender because of the arm, which he doesn't have anymore. And he once was uh, a switch hitter with some power and, and now he doesn't have the power anymore. So maybe it's that depressive cycle. I, I don't know um you know we'll we'll you know learn and, and find and i would love to see aaron hicks bounce back but right now he's the clear weak link in a chain that has led the yankees to the best record in baseball that is it for this edition of the yanks go yard podcast make sure to find us on apple podcast google podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question we will be more than happy to answer it and hash it out my name is adam weiner you can find me on twitter at adam weiner thomas carinante where can the people find you
2: Folks, I'm at Tommy's underscore takes. Uh, you can find Adam and I also on yanksgoyard.com. Our bylines are conveniently there. Um, all the stuff you want to read and hear about, um, hopefully, with a good perspective. I think it's a great perspective, but that's up to you to decide. Uh, talk to us on the official Yanksgoyard Twitter account at YanksgoyardFS. Series against the O's coming up in the Bronx. Let's do it. Let's just do it. I don't want to lose another series to the O's. I don't want to make it easier for them. I don't want to hear about how we're going to endure a stretch of offensive droughts and more problems to come. I don't want it. I want you to have a good week. I want the Yankees to have a good week. And I want to talk to you again on Thursday at 2 p.m. And that's all I got for you.
3: That's all I got for you.
1: We'll see you. Progressive presents today's to-do list for your dog.
3: Check front door, check window, check other window. Rest chin on ground, look into distance. Bark for no reason. Check front door, check window, check other window.
1: Your pet has a very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you.
3: Chase shiny ball, lose shiny ball. Find shiny ball, eat shiny ball.
1: Get coverage for your pets with any auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.